0: Uh, Today we are finishing uh, our sermon series we've been calling Shaped by Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy uh, 4. It is on page 1180 in the Red Pew Bibles. Um, I'll go ahead and read through the, the scripture this morning and just have a brief kind of pastoral word this morning. So page 1180, 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. This is a word of the Lord for us this morning. This is Paul speaking with Timothy. Paul's an old man, kind of his, you know, passing the baton. This is, you know, uh, uh, kind of his last will and testament, if you will, to his, the guy he's been discipling for, for, for years. And this is what he tells Timothy. He was a pastor of a church in Ephesus. He says this in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and with careful instruction. For the time will come When men will not put up with a sound doctrine, but instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn the ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge the duties of your ministry. And Lord, I ask that you would just bless the preaching of your word this morning. And Holy Spirit, uh, uh, speak to me. And um, uh, I I know I've struggled greatly with preparing this word. But Lord, just let it be your word and, and not my own. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I, I don't know if this is how to maybe verbalize it, you know, there, there's different kinds of preaching, if you will, you know Sometimes preaching just instigates just worship. I think last week was kind of like that, you know it was talking about awe and I wanted, I hoped you walked away with just a greater increased awe of our God Sometimes it's one of encouragement, right, um, just to continue walking and persevere and steadfast um, I think today if I could label you know, what kind of word I think the Lord has given me to share. Maybe pastoral would be the word. Um, I hope my shepherd's heart kind of comes through in this sermon. So um, it may not be the most exciting sermon in the world, but I I I hope it's a pastoral word for us this morning. The, 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 The title that I landed on is, What Teaching Shapes You? Have you really considered... Um, uh, what teaching is shaping you in your life? Or have you really considered questions like, what, it, what makes biblical teaching actually sound teaching? What makes biblical teaching healthy? Are you sure that you are receiving sound doctrine from the teaching you are beneath? That includes me, right? How do you know that I'm up here actually teaching sound doctrine? doctrine but you know beyond that do you do you have some set of guidelines in front of you that helps you navigate today's world of just mass availability of any teaching that you could possibly want just available at your fingertips i want to travel back in time for a minute let's call our friend um i don't know bob okay so bob is alive in the time before cars before you know iPhones, before telephones, you know, um, for most of human history that was life, right? You had a horse or whatever and then you got around. Your mobility was not, you know, it was hard to get places and took a long time. You were a Christian and you attended church, right? And most, you know, chances are your church wasn't, you know, 20 miles away or 10 miles away. It was within walking distance within a 20 or a minute you know 30 minute horse ride or something was close by because people's mobility wasn't really there and you knew that church you knew the people there because you lived amongst them and again for most of human history people just kind of lived in the same spot you had a relationship with that church community you knew the pastor of pastors there Um, They shepherded you, they cared for you, that community cared for you. There was accountability there. You received teaching from them when you received correction or encouragement. It came from people who knew you, who spent time with you, who lived amongst you in the community. And that was a a, a huge, the majority of church history that could kind of describe you know the idea of a parish. I don't know if you've heard of that word. You know, or some of the Catholic churches still call themselves parishes, right? It's the idea of a neighborhood community church for those people in that community. Well, you know, introduce the telephone or the car, mass transportation. You know, now we can get 20 miles, and, and one morning it's not a big deal. You know, uh, introduce technology, the internet, or the iPhone, right? And the the availability of things like biblical teaching, of things like spiritual counsel, it's now possible to receive that outside of community, outside of relationship with a church. I mean, just Google anything about what does this verse mean, and I think Google will provide you with 10 million possibilities. Like literally, if you look at how many search results pop up, you know. I mean, you you could literally just almost make a disciple of yourself in this day and age. I'm thankful to be alive today. I don't really want to be alive in 1800s or something because most people died by like 30 from like typhoid or something. We I played Oregon Trail as a kid. I know what that was like, right? So I'm happy to be alive today. Like, I don't want to go back in time. I'm happy for the mass availability of, of information and teaching. I mean, it's great, right? But I'm not here to say I want to control that for you, right? That's not my role. I don't believe, right? But as a as a shepherd here, as a, as a pastor here, I wanna probe you because I don't know what you absorb during the week, right? And I hope I can equip you with just some set of guidelines that says, yeah, this is, this is healthy biblical teaching, right? Or maybe this isn't, right? How do you know? Do you, do you have any kind of grid set up in your mind? Or as we, was, as we, we, we saw in our text, we'll see in our text, you know, the danger of not having a grid is what what you desire or what you want to hear becomes something that you'll be able to find. And it becomes that kind of echo chamber where you just only find the things that you agree with. And then there's something you never challenge, and suddenly you're kind of like an island of, we'll, we'll work through this today. So first, before we get here, right, I think this is kind of what, um, in, a, in a more ancient version, what Paul was um, uh, encouraging Timothy by because... All of church history, there has been unsound teaching available okay i mean there 's a reason why Paul had to write this first Timothy will look at that too. It existed from the in the earliest church, and Paul only is we see it 's only going to get worse, says Paul okay so um, this is not a new phenomenon okay This has been happening from day one but let 's work through this this morning as, as Paul is kind of passing the baton of you know, this church in Ephesus of, of his kind of pastorship, he's saying, Timothy, this is, this is yours now. Um, he's reminding him of the things that Paul taught, that he received from the other apostles, the traditions, the doctrine, etc., that Jesus himself has shared. And he, he's trying to encourage Timothy to stay the path, right? So here's, here's how it begins. It, it begin, this passage begins with a warning, some encouragement. about what to expect in his church at Ephesus. kind of a prophetic word, if you will, of like, here's what's coming. This is why I need to stay focused, Timothy. So look at this. Let's read this one more time. Um, Verse 1 in chapter 4. That's how Paul starts off. It's kind of a serious note. Like, this isn't like a jovial feeling here. Like, listen to the seriousness of how Paul addresses this. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, he will judge the living and the dead. It's like, whoa, it's a a little intense, So, Timothy, wake up. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing in his kingdom? Serious word, Timothy. Are you listening? Okay. I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Paul, in an attempt to really turn Timothy's eyes to Jesus and not so much Paul, right? He's reminding Timothy, he says, Jesus is here, his presence is amongst us, and when we live our lives, when we minister, we are doing so in his presence, and he said, I want you to to listen to me and recognize that what I'm saying, like, listen to it as if it's coming from the very presence of God himself that is in your life. It's this kind of serious word, he says, proclaim, Timothy, he says, Proclaim the Logos, that's the Word. Preach the Word. Proclaim the Word. it's interesting phrase that he continues on. He says, be prepared to minister when it's convenient or when it's not, in season or out of season, kind of a euphemism, like, are you ready? Even are you ready when you're not ready, kind of thing, right? Preach when you feel like it and preach when you don't feel like it. Be ready when you feel like it and be ready when you don't feel like it like it. And he keeps going. He says, your role here is to bring correction, rebuke when necessary and encourage, but don't do so with a heavy hand, says Paul. Do it with patience. Do it with carefulness. Great patience and careful instruction. We could spend a lot of time breaking all of those things down, but there's a reason why Paul gives this stern word to him. Right? There's a reason why he does this. Why? And he puts his prophet Head on, right? He kind of looks a little bit into the future Uh, as we read this, as we're going to see, this is already happening in his church in Ephesus and other churches as well. This is already happening, but he's also looking to tomorrow and say, it's going to keep happening, Timothy. This is why I need to be ready. Verse three, for the time will come when men, when people will not put up with sound Doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their eyes away from the truth and turn aside to myths." And he he says that people won't bear with sound teaching. Um, The way I can best describe this is through my ice maker right now. It works, okay, but I have to bear with it because every other day it gets frozen over and I have to get my hair dryer out and like stick my, you ever have to do this before in the hair dryer? It's a great thing, YouTube, but you know, hair dry, you can defrost your ice maker. Anyway, I don't know what's going on. It works, I have to kind of bear with it with great patience because it's frustrating and I don't feel like taking it apart to fix it. But that's kind of the idea here is that sound doctrine is something we kind of have to bear with. You know why? Because it's hard, it's going to bring correction to you. And you're like, ah, you know, it's, it would be easier if I just listened to teaching that didn't correct me. Paul says, no, 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 yeah. You know, it would be easier. And The time is coming. People, they won't want to bear with the truth. They don't want to put up with it anymore. That day is coming. It's already kind of there in his day. It's coming. They're not going to want to bear with it because it takes a lot of work to bear with the truth. But what are they going to do rather? They're going to want to scratch their itching ears, right? Rather than bearing the difficulties and challenges of sound teaching, they're going to toss it aside and try to start walking down a much easier route of less resistance. But it's interesting how he talks about this. Like, how will they do this? How will they um, stop bearing with sound teaching? They will gather around them a great number of teachers, says Paul. Paul. And those teachers will say what their itching ears want to hear. Um, you ever had an itch, like in the middle of your back, that you just can't reach and you're alone? And you're like, can find a wall corner, you know, or something to kind of rub up against? Like, it, 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 the idea is like, the ears are always itching. Like, that itch just kind of seems to always be there. The ears are always itching, right? And instead of, like, satisfying the itch, there's just this almost never-ending stream of just itching that their ears are constantly looking for new teachers alone to fill. But the, what they're looking for is teaching that will suit their own desires, right? Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers. Now, at first glance, you may think, like, well, you know, maybe if you know the Proverbs, there's a verse in Proverbs 11.14 that says, where there is no guidance of people falls but in abundance of counselors there is safety so you may read that verse and think well, what's the big deal sometimes it's really good to have a number of teachers like you need an abundance of counselors in our life that's good so what's the big deal paul like i think the issue is the the, the motive behind seeking the great number of teachers okay If I'm actually seeking sound wisdom from a bunch of counselors and I'm willing to say, if you got a word of correction, like I'm all ears, versus I'm going to find the counselors that are going to agree with me. I'm only going to seek those people out. Here they are, they found them. I'm going to keep finding more that just keep reinforcing the thing that I want to hear. The ones that I might disagree with, I'm going to... Just kind of set those aside, and I'm going to gather these people. It's all in the motive. What are you looking for? They're looking for counselors that will enable them to continue to seek their own desires and give them the justification for doing so. These people Paul is warning Timothy of do not appear to be seeking genuine wisdom, right? They're trying to scratch their never-ending ears of their own desire. Now, this is not a small thing. It's not a harmless exercise, I want want to look again at what usually happens next. The result of this, verse 4, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now we're going to look at 1 Timothy 3 here briefly um, because this had already been happening. Um, uh, In chapter 1, Paul has told Timothy um, in this, to not devote themselves to all these uh, endless genealogies. Let's, let's, let's look at this in First Timothy 3, verses 8. This is Paul's first letter to Timothy, same church, right? Some earlier portion of time here. Let's, it should be on the side behind us, First Timothy 3, verse uh, through 8. As I urge you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. Now, some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law or of the Bible, right? But they don't know what they're talking about. Or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law was made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly, the sinful, the unholy, the irreligious, those who kill mothers and fathers for murderers, adulterers, perverts, slave traders, liars, perjurers. keeps going on. For whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. But here's the few things to note. The myths that these people were devoted to promoted controversy, rather than God's work. Say one more time: it promoted controversy, rather than the work that God intended us to have our hands at. Verse five: the goal of Paul's command, and thus, uh, you know, by general implication, the goal of sound biblical teaching is love that comes from a pure heart, a heart of purity a good conscience and a sincere faith. And those who accept myths begin walking away from the truth, which will in every occasion eventually lead you away from purity, a good conscience, and the sincerity of faith, and also lead you away from love. The mention of the law on this passage is a reference to the Old Testament, it's a reference to the teachers of these myths and the source that they used. The teachers who used the law to spread their controversial teachings were not, according to Paul here, right, the way he says it, they weren't using the law properly. The law was given to of, convict us of sin, says Paul, to expose sin and wrongdoing, right? But they were using it for different purposes. They were using it to promote speculative, controversial teaching. And it was an abuse of Scripture, it did not lead to love of God or a sincere faith that conformed to the glorious gospel that Paul was entrusted to preach. So there are two more things, all right, in this sermon. I'm going to look at uh, four, I think. I mean, more could be said. And again, like I, I, I'm, I can't call myself some kind of expert here. But I think if I could sum up, you know, I think from here on we need to define what is is there a healthy grid that we can look at doctrine and be able to say, like, oh, yeah, this is, this is good, healthy, sound teaching? Because I, I, Alex and I and my wife are talking about in the way here. I mean, there's outright false teaching. You know, something like Jesus is not the Son of God, or he didn't rise from the dead, or there's no mirror, you know. Like, that's just false, okay? But then there's also unsound teaching, which I think could be like a, we could define it like a mixture of truth with some false falsehood and it becomes difficult to dis, to discern where's the truth and where's the the unnecessary emphasis maybe or you know where's the unsoundness here, the unhealthy nature of this. Is it unhealthy? How can I discern? Right? Because again, go to YouTube and type in Bible teacher and there'll be fifty thousand Bible teachers available for you. I guarantee you not all of them are sound in their teaching. How do you know which ones are sound and what you're receiving is sound Well, first, healthy biblical teaching leads us every time, okay, to a God centered life and not a me centered life. After lengthy, deep theological conversations, Paul, in his letter to the Romans, uh, beginning in chapter 12, he says this. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourself, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will Is his good and pleasing and perfect will. He actually attaches the increased ability to know and recognize the will of God in our lives when we are not living for ourselves. This idea of a living sacrifice is, I've said it before, it's like this is where zombies show up in the Bible, okay? There's a living dead person. That's the Christian life. You die to sin. So that person's dead on the cross, him. when Christ was raised, you're raised, and now you're walking in his newness of life while you were dying to yourself daily. That is a God-centered life and not a me-centered life. Healthy biblical teaching will always put God at the center. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Number two. Healthy biblical teaching promotes the love of God and the love of neighbor. When Jesus was asked, basically, to sum up, I say this all the time here, but I don't care, I'm going to say it again. When he was asked to sum up the whole Bible, like, Jesus, what's what is this whole thing about? I sum it up for me. One sentence. What do you got to say, Jesus? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If teaching from the scriptures somehow leads you away from love for God or love of neighbor, it's not sound teaching from scripture. And you need to pay attention to this, friends, in modern times. The Bible's been used as a justification for many things throughout history that did not lead to the love of neighbor. You need to pay attention to this, friends. Number three, Healthy biblical teaching leads us to a spirit-filled, spirit-led life that conforms our will to that of God. The best way I can say this is is the Lord's Prayer, right? I was just uh, talking to uh, Mark this week about how beautiful the, the Lord's Prayer is, right? And that line, on earth as it is in heaven, that we're actually praying that, Lord, let your will that is in heaven be manifest in my life on earth right now. That's what that prayer is meaning, right? Healthy teaching says, give me that kingdom heavenly life and in its, in its love, its gracious, its truthfulness, its power, let it be manifest today. It is a calling to be conformed to the spirit of God and his will and, and our wills to be diverted away from what we want and to what God wants. Wants and last here I think this is the simple, simplest, uh, I don't know if that's the right way to say that, my grammar is horrible, the most simple one here is number four healthy biblical teaching produces and cultivates in us the fruit of the spirit alright, healthy biblical teaching in us cultivates the fruit of the spirit, what's the fruit of the spirit? in Galatians we see it, love joy peace Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. If you're absorbing yourself in biblical teaching that does not produce those things in us, it is not from the Spirit of God. If you are listening to teaching that is not producing love or joy or peace or patience or kindness or goodness or faithfulness or gentleness or self-control, it is not from the Spirit of God. All right, so I might step on toes in this next part, um, but whatever. So, um, <laughs> you know, because I I wanted to be honest, you know, because we, we live in interesting times, and um, uh, I want to name three ways. There's, there's a multitude of teaching out here that I can't necessarily say is wrong, like, uh, we, you know, we can do a sermon on false doctrine one day But um, I, I want to look at teaching today that is unsound Not necessarily wrong It's just there's some, some unhealthy emphasis and falsehood That can distract us from the things that we just talked about Okay The first one I want to talk about is end times teaching The Bible has a whole lot to say about the, end of the, about the day of the Lord So I'm not saying all end times teaching, of course Scripture does call us to be prepared, but there was one, you know did you know when the early churches struggled with this? They were obsessed with the end times. The church in Thessalonica, okay? They were obsessed with the return of Christ. They thought he was coming like the next day, so they like were doing things like quitting their jobs. They weren't even working anymore. They were just like, We're here. Where are you at? And Paul was like, Um you should because they're sort like having to mooch off of people because they were just like, We're not working because he's coming back. And Paul's like, you you probably should get a job and like making your own living. Like, so here's, here's what he did here, okay? 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 through 11. Listen, he says, I, I had to skip some, but the beginning of verse 8, he says, but since we belong to the day, talking to these people who are kind of obsessed with the day of the Lord, he says, let us be sober, right? Clear-minded, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, In the helmet of hope for salvation, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live in him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. He says, be encouraged. Yes, the world world one day will end. The day of the Lord will come. Christ will return to judge the living of the dead. But don't be in fear. I can't tell you how much of this end time kind of teaching just creates fear in people. It creates anxiety in people. It drives people to be almost like paranoid. I am a living testimony. I had a, I've shared this story before, I had a panic attack in my life. Because I literally thought that like, Iran was gonna dump missiles on us and some prophet was telling me so and I got obsessed with this guy and I had a panic attack and that was 20 years ago, nothing ever happened, okay? And those people are out there, okay? It promotes controversy, it can. it can. It can cause you to think you have to prepare for this by like blowing all your money on, you know, pre- prepping and all this kind of stuff. Just look out, like be aware, be sober-minded, but don't live in fear. Don't live in fear. Love God and love your neighbor. Live a life pleasing to God. Be hopeful, put on the breastplate of faith, and hope, and if you really want to prepare for that day, go tell your neighbor about Jesus. Like now. If you really want to prepare, go be an evangelist. Okay? Because there's a world out there that needs to meet Jesus. So don't become a recluse in your house waiting for the end of the world. Go out there and preach the gospel. Number two, the prosperity gospel. Things like, <laughs> things like God doesn't want you to suffer. He only wants you to have money and health and happiness. Um, this is a God of what I like to call of the supermarket magazine rack, okay? <laughs> Learn this cool new trick to be richer and happier. But rather than the cool new trick, it's a prayer, right? I mean, seriously, it's like getting that kind of spirit and somehow trying to theologize it and say this is what God, you know, just reach out and grab it. You can be wealthy and healthy and happy and um, Listen to Peter's words to the early church, okay, in 1 Peter 5, who were being killed for their faith, who were suffering to tremendous degree. Listen how Peter spoke to them, okay? Because chances are you don't hear a lot of the prosperity gospel teachers preach out of 1 Peter. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to test you, as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice inasmuch, listen to this, as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. He says the conclusion of this section and and, and and he says, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. I don't see Peter saying, make sure you, you pray for, for this to stop and to run away from suffering. He says, no, suffer well. You need to keep doing good in your suffering because you then can participate in the one who suffered on your behalf. Like you are sharing in the life of Christ. And so as we live in this fallen world, suffering is going to be a part of our story. And the question, so we do pray for God to be gracious and to relieve us. I mean, that's not a bad prayer. But he uses us, he uses suffering in our life to refine us, to help us to realize what it felt like to be like Jesus in this world. I'm telling you the testimony of somebody suffering well in this life. All, All of you, so many of you share stories about somebody in your life who was suffering at the end of their life and they were suffering well, like with joy. You know, praying for people as you felt like oh, I should be praying for you. They're praying for you as their life like, we see that and we're moved. Say, so how can this happen? How are you so? That is the Holy Spirit and them causing them to suffer well. So the question, so much is, is how can you avoid suffering? It's how how can you do it well? That was Peter's question to the church. All right, much more could be said. This last one is going to be tricky. Um, I want to talk about love of country. Patriotism, if I can, just for a minute. Um, love a country is not bad, okay? There's just a, a plethora of Christian teaching out right now, and it has been for quite some time, right, um, that, that I think is overstepping lots of boundaries with how uh, pastors and leaders are talking about our Christian faith and our love of our own country. There's a godly, healthy patriotism but myth and speculation, itching ear type of teaching can be present um, when, when, when patriotism may cause you to think that the very center of God's plan for the world is somehow tied up with America. That he is for America. That the love of God becomes difficult to distinguish between love of country. This kind of seeps into a lot of teaching out there. I want to share a brief story from uh, 1600 years ago where uh, Christians struggled with this. Okay, because um, uh, in in the 400s, okay, um, it was a back end kind of the the glory of the Roman Empire, if you will. Rome had been a city basically standing for almost a thousand years, okay? They called it the eternal city, and it was there. It was always there. I mean, think about that. For a thousand years, Rome stood in the empire, it was always there, until one day it got sacked by an enemy. And it was taken over. The eternal city that had always been there was taken over and, and, and resided by a foreign enemy. Peter Brown, and his biography on St. Augustine, uh, Augustine was what he, was, he was pastoring there in this time in North Africa in the Roman Empire. And he, he, he found his church full of disillusioned Christians that didn't know what to do because Rome had fallen. And he was like, what is... What does rome have to do with your faith like what does rome have to do with the work of god here's how peter brown described it he says um uh, because pagans loved rome the roman gods the pagan gods that rome is a capital city of all the pagan but he but he said this he said christians also colluded with the same kind of love they colluded with the love of rome the same way the pagans did just as rome had assembled the gods of all the nations to act as talesmen or representative of rome's greatness So Roman Christians had come to believe that Peter and Paul had traveled from the east to lay their holy bodies in the city of Rome. That's where they both died. As if it was like, you know, God's city, the holy city of Rome, right? He said one pagan version of that was just replaced by a Christian version. And after 410, when Rome was invaded, sacked, and fallen, Augustine had to deal with disillusioned Christians quite as much as with angry pagans. It was not sound teaching for these early Christians to think God was behind the standing of the city of Rome. Because when it fell, it brought disillusionment. What do we do? Now Rome's not here. The church father Jerome was even quoted as saying, If Rome can perish, then what can be safe? Friends, I'm just going to lay this out. Could it be that America is not God's eternal nation here on earth, that one day it won't be here? That one day America will fall at the ancient city of Rome and be no more? Does that mean that God abandoned us, right? Have today many Christians colluded their faith way too much for their love of country? Guys, God doesn't need America to survive. I don't know if you knew that or not. His work in this world is not dependent on the survival of our own country. He didn't develop his church here to fight for the glory of America. Um, that's the same thing the Christians struggle with. It's a myth, friends. If you travel too far down that path, you won't see the fruit of the Holy Spirit rise up. You'll see things like anger. You'll see fear. You'll see, you'll see misplaced passions that not have God at the center, but rather a perishable, temporary nation. Many more examples could be given, okay? Have a step on anybody's toes, whatever. But here, in the closing, okay, Paul says this as a closing comment here for us. Verse five, but you keep your head in all situations. Okay, listen, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. He's saying, Timothy, you're vulnerable too to all these kind of unsound, unhealthy teachings. You are vulnerable too, so you need to make sure your head is clear. Friends, can you make sure that my head is clear, too? Like, if I'm up here preaching things that sound strange to you, come up and be like, yo, that was a weird sermon. Like, where did you get that from? Like, tell that to me. I want to have a clear head, right? Just as much as I want you to have a clear head. Keep your head clear in all situations. Endure hardship. Don't run away when things get hard and difficult. Endure it. Do the work of an evangelist. Keep the main thing the main thing. He started off by saying, preach the word. Saying, keep on preaching, Timothy. Like you, guys, keep the gospel the main thing. That is the main and primary center of our message. Anything else that takes an overemphasis that becomes the center is a distraction to the work of God in this world that he has called us to do as a church. We have to stay focused, friends keep your head clear, stay focused, do the work of evangelists and discharge all the duties of your ministry. You know what that means? It means be with each other, hold each other accountable, right? Be in each other's lives. As I'm sharing this, like what teaching shapes you here? Paul wanted Timothy to stay in the game with a clear mind and this is kind of the focal point of this sermon, right? What teaching shapes you? Do you this morning need to develop some healthier habits of what you listen to? What media you absorb, what radio or, or podcasts you listen to? What books or websites you, you read continually? Um, do they, are they producing the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Do they drive you towards love of God and neighbor? Or do they drive you towards being filled with the Spirit? Fulfilling the will of God or aligning your will to God or even a God-centered life? God's design here is something we need to maintain. I'm thankful for the online church. I'm thankful for those things. But in community, there is accountability. Timothy knew his church. He was with his church. I want to know you guys. I want you to know each other and know me. This is a kind of accountability that helps us maintain our trajectory here, that it's healthy, that we are boldly correcting each other if we need to, rebuking, encouraging Right? But but that we know each other well enough to know when those things need to be done. But you are allowing that in your own life from your brothers and sisters. And not pushing people away or rejecting them or only seeking the people that you will agree with. So as we close call the worship team up this morning, Um, uh, I I said a lot of things. I hope I was on target with these things. Um, What what I want to do now in our ministry time is... um, God wants all of you. He wants you to be so deeply formed in the deepest crevices of your heart, right, that it's just that never-ending work of the Spirit of God in our life. And if there's anything that I've been saying that just, like, scratches a nerve, it hits something, right, that you, you just say, yeah, I, I, I've been watching the news, and just, I'm angry, like, every day. That's not out of the Spirit, and you should turn away from that, bring balance to it, and confess that, Right? If you're coming here because you're just freaked out and anxiety for whatever world events are going on, that's not from the spirit of God. Do not be anxious, right? Tomorrow will have troubles But what has he brought to you today. Free yourself from anxiety. Right? If there's teaching that has not quite been just the gospel as center or God as a center, and you just kind of your eyes are being opened up to that this morning, well, come forward and say, I I just I need help, more health in my life can you help me? Like, where can I live in my brain this week? You know, my phone's in my face. Like, how can I have healthy things in my life? The Spirit of God wants all of you, and He wants to send you out, and I want this church to be that beacon and lighthouse for Him. And this is why I preach so pastorally this morning. Be formed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I pray that the fruit of the Spirit could just, what we engage in, Lord, that you will just give us that, that radar and barometer, Lord, that we know this is of you, this is healthy, this is something I should be spending my time absorbing. Lord, help us to grow tight-knit as a church community, that we have one another's backs, Lord, and just the, the barrage of information available to us, that we are just keeping each other uh, accountable, uh, pursuing a clear mind, Lord. But if there is a... Um, Just a a drive to to, to want to pursue this, Lord. Help us to see our neighbors, how you see them, Lord, as people who need you, who need your love, who need us in their lives, who need to know about your grace, who need help, who need mercy. Lord, may we be agents of that, Lord. And may all of this just, just, just lead us to that, Lord. Because your church will be here until you return, Lord. The gates of hell cannot prevail against your church. Lord, help us to be that bulwark of truth and of grace and of love in this world today. We love you, Lord, so much, and we pray this in your name, amen. Um, As we sing this last psalm, people will be available for prayer. Please come up if you need it this morning. Thank you.
1: Your blood speaks a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth. Speaks righteousness for me. It stands in my defense. Jesus, it's Your blood.
2: Can